entrepreneurs, are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard. Now more than ever, you need a plan to help your business not just survive, but thrive. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business strategist on a mission, and I've helped tons of small business owners to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees sustainable profitability and guides their growth. I want to share with you strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit with a Plan podcast. So I'm really excited to have my guest today on, Matt Manavi, and he is a business broker with Transworld Business Advisors of Orange. And Matt has over 30 years in corporate experience in engineering, manufacturing, and executive management. He's worked in small and startup companies in Silicon Valley for about 19 years. And in 2003, he co-founded a high-tech startup that you, in using nanotechnology and data storage. In 2005, he joined a Fortune 500 company in Orange County, managing an international team. His team was responsible for all of the three-and-a-half-inch hard disk drives, they call it HDD, um, in design and development and qualifications. High-volume manufacturing and customers was his, was his sweet spot. Matt's team generated revenue per quarter from $5 million to $50 million in products, and that's where... Uh, that were developed and released into market. Matt is now a certified business broker and is a certified business intermediary. We, uh, he both represents both sides often of the buy and the sell side when selling your business. He has been professionally trained to provide valuations and analysis on your business. So Matt is really truly a specialist when it comes to understanding the value of your business and selling your business. So Matt, that's quite a resume. And thanks for being a guest on our show today. Marcia, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on your, on your show. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So we're always talking about different things on the show uh, to increase a, a business owner's profitability. And one of those areas is how you design your business and get it setting, set up for a future sale. It is, after all, your retirement piece or a big piece of your retirement. So let's talk about um, some of the best ways that you can prepare your business for sale in the future. Thank you for that question. It's actually a very important question. There are many aspects that a, a business owner must work on, on her or his business to prepare it for, for sale. However, amongst the multiple factors, there are three that are the most important ones, uh, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, number one is... Before we go to a market, we must understand what's a, what's a valid price range for selling mm -hmm. the business. Typically, a business owner has a very high inflated value of her or her business because it's an emotional, there's an emotional attachment to that business. Whereas a buyer, being a financial buyer, is very objective. So there is that, that separation. What we do is we provide to close that gap by being very objective and providing a range of evaluation for that business, which we call business pricing analysis. Number two is that the buyers want to see a very clean set of books. <laughs> Businesses that whose books are not clean, they don't match, there's a lot of cash being exchanged, things cannot be explained, um, or diff more difficult to sell, or are sold at a discounted price because the 
buyer, again, being a financial buyer, cannot trust the books. Therefore, mm. the buyer says, well, I think this is how much you're making. Therefore, I'm going to pay this much for your business. Whereas if the individual had worked with a business advisor and a CPA to prepare the books properly, then we could demand a much higher multiple for that business. That's a good point. The third most important point is that most buyers are looking for a turnkey business, meaning that as a buyer, when I come in, I cannot read the owner's mind. I would like to have a set of documents and processes ready so I know I can follow and make the revenue that the owner used to make. Therefore, we highly encourage the business owner to establish, to document those processes. Don't rely on, uh, you know, what's in my memory or, yeah, everybody knows about it. My engineer knows about it. Absolutely not. So we highly encourage, and at times we work with them, to document all those procedures and processes. These I three, love that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I love that. That's so simple in saying having a price range that is meeting, um, you know, I used to uh, have friends in real estate and we'd always say, well, um, sellers are liars and buyers are dreamers or <laughs> yeah, something like that. But there's always this huge gap and it's similar in the business line. You know, you have that emotional piece in it, but then I didn't, you know, I, people don't put the value on having a clean set of books and systems and processes to have that turnkey. That's some really valuable stuff. And, and I think that, that having those pieces in place would really um, help your price. Absolutely. What I tell the sellers, and again, you know, I'm not a CPA, so I'm not providing any financial advice. But typically, <laughs> um, most, most sellers try to not show their net profit so they do not pay as much tax. And what I tell them is, and it's pretty standard, very typical, right? What I tell them is for every dollar that you do not show, maybe if you're at the highest tax bracket, you can save maybe 35 cents, 38 cents, 35 cents a dollar. Whereas for every dollar that you show when you're ready to sell the, your business, I can get you $2 to $3. Now, wow. would you rather settle for 65 cents or sorry, 35 cents profit or $3 uh, profit? So, so that's uh, a good question. How do you, um, what kind of multiples do you often look at when you're looking at their books? So if they say they made, you know, um, let's just use a round number, uh, 500,000 last year. So, or, or even 100,000 just for simple math. So if they made 100,000 in profits last year, net profits, what kind of multiples are often pulled to price that? That's a great we're, question. We're, uh, we're talking shark tank here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it really depends. However, there are general rules where people say, okay, at that range, maybe a multiple of one and a half to two, right? Okay. However, one of the things that we do, because, because it may not be fair, you know, on one, on one end, the, the, the business may be overpriced because of certain assumptions. On the other end, the business may be underpriced, so the seller will be leaving money on the table. Uh, as you very well know, in any business, both revenue and net profit are important. They mm -hmm. both carry a weight. One without the other, I mean, people look at both of them. So when we do evaluation, we always look at both the revenue and the net profit. Therefore, a multiple by, by itself 
is kind of meaningless. You know, people can use it as a rule of thumb, mm-hmm. but that's it. Uh, usually we go by a fraction of revenue and a multiple of the net profit, and then we do a weighted average depending on type of business. There's it's another hard. factor that, and then, and then it depends on the industry. Mm-hmm. Is the industry hot? Is it dying? Is it growing? All of that, again, um, kind of uh, decide, decide in, this, in the number and the, in the multiple. The last one is uh, quality of earning. And if simply put is, uh, you know, are, are you the owner of the business or not? Um, what percentage of your revenue is recurrent? How, how valid, how, um, how good, how strong are your customers? Like, can you rely on them? Uh-huh. And, you know, how much growth is there in your business? For example, if, if your owner with pride says, oh, man, like I've captured so much and, and I've been steady at like a million dollars for the last 10 years. Well, a buyer would say, okay, what am I buying this? I'm not going to pay a high, high price for this business because there's no growth potential, it seems. Right. Ah, because it's been steady for a million. Gotcha. Exactly. Whereas, see, in general, a buyer pays for future revenue mm-hmm. relying on the past history. Mm-hmm. And, and how, many, a, how yeah. many years do you generally look backwards in that most often, most often three years. There, are, very, okay. there are rare cases that if, if the business is in the millions of dollars, then we'd absolutely look for five years just to make sure. And mm-hmm. the other aspect is, unlike what people believe, the higher the net, the higher the multiple. Mm. So, for example, if a $100,000 net would, would demand a multiple of, say, two, a million dollar would demand a multiple of four, a $5 million would demand a multiple of six or seven. Ah, okay, okay. So the, so the higher, more money, yeah. Yes, interesting right. because yes. the more the more multiples of that higher number that's that's interesting that's good so i think um i think it's the price range getting the buyer and seller to come together is is all a factor of the books and the numbers and the history that they've had coming together but i think the other key thing that you brought up is having a turnkey business so if you're a single owner and you're turning over the keys to somebody else, then that person has to be another single owner. But if you've got a team under you, which most likely that happens, you want to ensure that new, that new buyer, that the team is going to stay. Yes. Right? And Absolutely. I think that adds more value than just saying, you know, here, here it is. Take, take it over. Here's, here's, the, here's my business cards. Here's the frame. Here's the, here's the outside of the package that you're getting. I mean, when you peel it back and you see inside and you see that there's, there's a manager that has long-term relationship, that adds value, I'm sure. What are the other things that might add value to, to a business when you're looking at the systems and processes and the people that are involved? Uh, they, so they want a, a buyer typically wants to see um, if, for example, if if it's a if it's a manufacturing business, mm-hmm. is the is the supply chain in place? Mm-hmm. Do you have contractual agreements? How long? You know, how many suppliers do you have? You know, what's the risk if one supplier were to go down? Do you have a few other that you can go and use such that your line doesn't go down? Uh, at the same time, they want to see if there's any contractual agreement on the, uh, with the customers. 
Now, at times, there may not be, right? The owner may decide or the, that, hey, I don't want to have any agreement, but because they, this buyer or these customers have been with me for such a long time, and I have got their product. I know how to design their product. I own that design. Therefore, true, the customer could go somewhere else, but it's going to cost the customer a whole lot of money to find another vendor. Therefore, there's a high likelihood they're going to stay with my business. A buyer then typically, it's a typical question, a buyer asks them, well, what's the guarantee that the, that the business will stay with me or the employees will continue to stay with me? It's a simple answer. Put yourself in, in your customer's shoes. Why would the customer shoot themselves in the foot by moving away from a great supplier that has been working with them for so many years? Unless you, the new buyer, do something that will discredit the integrity and the stability that the business had, had established for so many years. That makes total that, sense. Right. Yeah, even even contracts aren't aren't you exactly. know set in stone. I mean, you exactly. Can, that's what attorneys are for, right? They're to yeah, break contracts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> contracts can be broken. It, it's it's the relationship and the and the um, the capability and the quality of service that the business has been delivering. Then mm. the other side is, what if the employees leave? Again, employees, you know, employees have been with the company for so many years. They love the environment. They've been earning an income. And there's a culture established. If you come and disturb that culture where the employees won't like it anymore, they cannot get along with you, well, guess what? They're going to leave. That's right. <laughs> there's no so, magic about it. It's like pretty And that becomes the match by having a broker such as you to come in and say, look, here's the environment you paint that picture for, for for the buyer by doing your discovery with the seller. And then the buyer comes in and you're trying to say, look, can you fit into this? Could you keep this culture going? And then that also leads to more success. And that turnkey seems a lot more simpler than than you know trying to trying to do things differently. Uh, absolutely. Interesting. Well this is great. This is really valuable stuff. Um, I coach my clients to um, get ready for selling. And I say, you should know your exit strategy the day you open the doors. You know, what are your plans? Because it's the way you establish your business. It's, it's easier to set the systems and processes in place, knowing that you're, you're creating it to, to sell it in the future, because it's a very, very valuable investment and asset in, in your, in your life and in your business. Um, so I think that this is really good tools to help buyers and sellers understand when they're coming close to that environment. You've spoken a lot about manufacturing. Um, I deal a lot with service-based companies. Mm-hmm. How do you value a service-based product versus a, a, a tangible, you know, a cost basis and so on in that? Is, is there anything different on a service-based? Uh, y- yes and no. So, um, there are there are means of providing evaluation for different industries, right? And, and, and with the service industry, it is important in, to understand um, the client base and you know, again quality of earning and how how is the revenue generated? Is this uh, is the revenue on a recurring basis for all or portion of the the clients, or is it that you have to kill one to earn that revenue and then you go? Uh, you know, basically you sell one or you acquire that and then you have to move on and 
try to find uh, other other customers to generate the revenue. Uh, typically, um, depending on the service, for example, insurance companies are pretty hot. Um, and, you know, and a, a, a law firm, depending on how the law firm is established, may or may not be sellable. Okay. Um, uh, physicians, you know, absolutely a physician has to abide. There, there are the HIPAA rules that need to be, a, you know, individuals need to abide by. So there are nuances in every service business or every service-oriented business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of difficult to put a, a blanket rule of this is how you go about it because you have to address each of them separately, but they're mainly focused on um, the number of clients, recurring revenue, and stability of the clients and stability like of, the, of, the, of the industry. And the industry and the service that you're providing to right. them. You know, of course, you always have to, like, if, if you're coming into an attorney, you have to have your bar, you know, your, your, your license. Okay. And the same with the medical professional, you have to be licensed. So that's an assumption that you're, you're coming in with. Um, but I find that it's interesting that um, many service-based professionals don't think that they can sell their practice or their business. But they can if they set up the pieces that we're talking right. about right here. They've got the clean books, and they they create a a um, a renewing revenue source. So they're not out hunting and killing right. constantly, hunting right. and killing because that's painful for anybody in the in, right. in the business world. But creating those kind of systems and processes, as well as having you know loyal loyal clients, and if your service is 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 something that can be used repeatedly over and over, then that adds value to it as well. True. Um, I love this idea. So we've talked a lot about um, selling your business. Um, let's talk a little bit about buying businesses. Um, we've given a little bit of niche on there, but you you are an expert when it comes to connecting franchises and people together. Let's talk a little bit about the franchise world. Um, can you give us a little bit of over oversight on what a franchise is and how it works? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Transworld Business Advisors is a global franchise. And um, I chose a franchise. So let me preface it this way, and then I'll, I'll tell you why. I chose a franchise when I wanted to get into this business brokerage and M&A industry because I came from 30 years of corporate environment. And as much as, you know, I, I am an entrepreneur in heart, and maybe that was a demise that I said, I cannot take any more in the corporate world. Um, You're one of us. Welcome. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. It's just, I cannot be bound anymore. Uh, we are used to, people who come from the corporate world are used to getting a paycheck every other week. Uh, a lot of the environment is already established for them. They don't need to go market. They don't need to figure out how to create a website. They don't need to figure out how to manage PL. They don't need to understand how to hire people and deal with the HR issues. They don't need to figure out where am I going to rent uh, and you know is you know is the rent manageable? It, it's just so as you very well know. Going from a corporate world to a to an under, under, entrepreneurship world where you start your own business, there's a huge amount of things that one has to learn. And now, a franchise provides a structured environment for an entrepreneur where the individual 
has many of the things already handed to them. For example, here's your marketing procedure. Here's how you're going to find and we find your location for you. Here's how, if it's a fast food restaurant, for example, here's how you're going to set up your fast food restaurant. Here's the flow. Here's the color of the chairs. Here's, the, here's your menu. A lot of things are given to you. So you don't have to mm. think about them and reinvent the wheel. Mm. They're given to you because the franchisor hopefully has had a very successful history to say that, look, I have developed this recipe and it's been generating revenue for me and other franchisees for so many years. You follow the recipe that I give you, you're going to generate revenue. That's the simple reason for starting a franchise. Love uh, it. And, Makes and it that, easier. Exactly. <laughs> and, and for that, of course, they will want to get a royalty, rightfully so, mm. right? And an upfront fee. So there are yes. there are signups and, and yes. you're buying equipment on their platform. And especially if you're in a, a, a restaurant or a, a, a storefront kind of situation, you're buying everything, your supplies, everything through their chain Absolutely. so that they can help control the consistency. But I think what really nailed it for me is that the stress of a business owner, as I, as I mentioned in my intro, business is hard. It really is truly hard because when you're starting it up, you're wearing all these hats and you have to figure out what this is going to be and what's that going to be and set up and processes and everything. When you buy a franchise, you may pay a little bit up front, but they're handing you that beautiful turnkey package that basically you follow the recipe on the, on the card and you open the door and you have clients coming in ideally. Right. And, and, I, and I want to quickly allude to two important points, uh, Marcia. One is, yes, buying a brand new franchise is, is, is good for individuals who want to, are looking for a specific location, right? Hey, I want this area, therefore I'm going to buy a brand new one to start it. To me, a better approach is to buy an existing franchise that is already generating positive cash flow. Oh, then, so you buy a friend, someone else did the startup, you walk absolutely. in, it's the used car thing, right? You get the discount right off the bat, you're still driving a relatively new car. Well, you know, you, you get the structure of a franchise and the brand name of a good franchise, and you don't have, and, and then you hit, you know, the ground generating cash flow. You start putting money in your pocket from the next day versus starting from scratch where it takes you a year to do a build out, you pay up front. You got to pay for employees year to year and a half before you break even. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and that's a lot of money to, to yeah. put up. So what are, the, what are the success percentages? And I know percentages are just here or there, but I think it would give our listeners an idea. What's the percentage of success in a franchise versus a traditional entrepreneur <laughs> walk-in startup? I mean, there's got to be something different here. They are, and, and I and I used to know it, and I apologize, I, I forgot. I don't want to Round give any number. Are good. Right, right. So typically, I remember for a standard business, within the first three years or so, about eighty percent of the business go out, mm. mainly because they run out of money to, to get it started and going. And well, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, exactly. They start putting up money. They don't have proper planning in place. They didn't figure out how to generate their revenue, you know, like what you do, Marcia, they, they didn't have a plan. They just go, mm-hmm. so I want to start this business without really properly planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So they run out of money. Uh, whereas the issue is the, the percentage is much less. I believe I would say maybe 50% or less for franchises mm. because for one, it's, it's a structured environment. And two, for every franchisee that uh, files for bankruptcy, that's a negative mark for the franchisor. Ooh, okay. Therefore, the franchisor will do everything they can on the initial selection and two to keep it afloat. Absolutely. Gotcha. So yeah, there is, there is an interview process. You can't just come in with a lot of money and say, I want to buy a, you know, this yogurt stand. Um, You've got to, you've got to have some, some skill set. You've got to have some reserve assets in play. You've got to have some, some business credit and the ability to front this. And because they want to see that, you know, like in any business, your franchise, just because you buy a franchise, it's still going to take you, like you said, a year, possibly a year and a half to get it profitable. You got to be able to sustain yourself during that Absolutely. time and potentially your employees as well. Absolutely. It's a double whammy uh, when you start a brand new franchise. Yeah. Whereas you pay upfront and you start doing cash flow. There's another angle, and, and I want to quickly mention that. Yeah. And this is to the business owners who have been so successful in developing processes, you know, they've, they've, they've got the processes down and they've got the books right. They know exactly how to make money every single day, very repeatedly. They can convert their business into a franchise. They can really? become a franchisor. And then they will be double dipping big time. Because, Excellent. Uh, because for one, they can sell their franchisee locations Number two, they will generate a continuous cash flow called royalty. Number three, a so-called manager for each of their locations now becomes a franchisee who's got a skin in the game. They remove so, all the headache. So I have a client that is, um, she does um, a uh, organization company where she helps reorganize, get people organized. She also her, her two ideal clients are disorganized people and real estate agents, high-end real estate agents, where she goes in and helps organizing, declutter the house for a quick sale, and then she helps with the pack-and-move kind of situation. She is very, that is right on her target. She wants to become a franchise with her business. And in advising her on setting up a future franchise, um, Obviously, it sounds like you got to have the systems in place. You got to have the clean books, but you've got to have also that consistent um, experience of bringing in constant income, right? Yes, yes. And so, no, no ups and downs like most uh, most businesses that are growing get. You know, I mean, you got to have that kind of. What would be what would be a time horizon for her if she's been in business, say three or four years, and she's doing well and 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 doing that. When would be a um, an ideal time to consider franchising and in the future? I mean, because that's a great exit strategy as well. Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. The, there is, I mean, really, the only time is her readiness. Mm. When is she ready? And then there's, uh, and and then you know, we can we can sit with her to really understand the processes, her her business model, her revenue model, and see for one. Are they franchisable? Can you mm. actually franchise them? And, and, and to me, maybe there's a fourth factor, and that is the character of franchisee. 
that it has to be somebody who's well-organized and can really work through clutter and manage people. Right. In that situation, right. You have to be the same mindset she is. So that would be the buyer, the buyer um, guidelines or characteristics of any buyer. So if you're buying a restaurant, you got to be able to run a restaurant, you know, just because you like to cook doesn't mean you should be a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. Good. Good point. So, um, Matt, this has been a wonderful conversation. You've given us some really great information that can help buyers to think, this is a valuable asset that I have as my business, and I want to look at setting up things now. And if you are considering selling your business, what what should you expect and look through? How could our listeners find you and get a hold of you? Thank you. Sure, absolutely. You can email me to mmanavi at tworld.com or you can search for my website called yourorangebusinessbrokers.com yourorangebusinessbrokers.com and uh, from there you can actually click on my uh, you know say contact me and then I'll receive an email from you or uh, you can call me on my uh, my telephone 714-923-1222 Again, 714-923-1222. I have, will have all that information in the podcast notes for the listeners. So they're not you. scrambling to write it down. Uh, absolutely, so. absolutely. I want to say uh, one thing that I tell business owners, and you know, maybe, maybe working with a business owner isn't right for everybody. And I completely acknowledge that. But, but as a business owner, please keep in mind, you can either work on your business or work on selling your business. If you work on selling your business, then who's working on your business? The Ooh. revenue will go down and the valuation will drop. So pick your battle, business owner. Ask for professionals to help you. I love that. That's so important because like anything, you have to, you have to keep the engine running and you have to keep the business flowing, especially if you're trying to sell it. It's like if you're selling your home business owner, you know, you got to keep everything clean and organized and have it all pretty in the cookie smell in the, in the kitchen. When, when buyers come to see the house, it's not an easy job, but if your business is, is set up and you've got the the, the clean books and you've got the turnkey situation and systems and processes, then it's going to make it a lot easier. And, and like I say, with, you know, accounting, you shouldn't be doing your own accounting and you shouldn't be trying to sell your own business. You want to have an expert that knows how to broker it and find the right buyer for you. So thanks, Matt. This was, this was a fabulous conversation. It was perfect for us. And I think it's something that, that, even if you are looking to sell your business today, or if you're not looking to sell your business today, you should start thinking about having these systems and processes and, and, and actions in place so that when you do want to sell it, you've already got a leg up on it. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marcia, for Absolutely. inviting me. It was wonderful talking with you. Absolutely wonderful. Great. Well, thanks for listening today, listeners. Uh, I hope you found an idea or two to put into your business that will help your business become more profitable. If you'd like to learn just how your business can not only survive or thrive, I'd like to invite you to go to my uh, website and pick up failproofbiz.com and get my six tips that will increase your cash flow right now. While you're there, check out my six-day big profit strategy sprint to get your business seeing profits faster. So um, Matt and I would love to hear your questions, 
uh, feedback, or even ideas for future shows. So please subscribe and comment on today's podcast. And you can always catch Profit with a Plan on any of your favorite podcast players. We're looking more forward to more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Be safe.